It's because they thought Jesus was coming soon. Really soon. And when you think that judgment is coming that soon, what you don't do is lie about the judge. It's a bad idea. (laughs) You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that So we're continuing to work our way through the... Um, Evidence surrounding the resurrection. We've been doing that since Easter. Um, all the sermons do stand alone, but they also stack up. So um, if you missed any or you just want to go back and uh, look at them again, we actually have all of them on our website along with all the graphics um, for, for those that need that. So, um, so that's there. So I just wanted to share that with you. But we have been looking at the science of how they evaluate testimonies in a court of law. How do you, how do you judge a testimony to be reliable? And um, Sarah, I'll take that over from here. I think we're good. Um, These are the legal standards used to judge testimonies. Character, intention, bias, ability, consistency, and cover-up. This is what they they probe for. We talked about character substantially last week. Uh, This week I'm going to be looking at intention and bias. Uh, the bias and attention test. This needed to be a short sermon because Deacon Michael has something to share with us after a little bit here. So um, these are pretty easy to tackle in a short way because they're so obvious what they mean. Um, the intention test is, is pretty obvious. Um, the question is, was it the intention of the authors to preserve the historical details as accurately as possible? Um, Fortunately, um, Luke left us a wonderful uh, clue to this one at the beginning of his gospel. Where in verses 3 and 4, he writes, I too decided, after investigating everything very carefully from the first, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. So, um, the name Theophilus means God-lover. Um, it's unclear whether that was a real historical person or whether it was addressed to a general group um, of people, but they were God-lovers if it was to a general group. Um, this is likely a person who had become a Christian, because that's what happened in the first century. You weren't born that way. Um, and so, um, or you weren't raised that way, I should say. And so what happens is, is that Luke wants him to know that whatever he's converted from and made this, this leap, and we're going to talk a little bit about the cost that, that was entailed in that, um, that whatever cost they gave, whether they've endured it, you know, they left a former philosophy or a religion or something, um, they, he wanted to make sure Theophilus understood that his faith was founded on something really, really solid. And so this is why he engaged in this historical research. Luke was not one of the apostles, um, although he would have certainly had, had exposure to them and interviewed them. So. But he was definitely intending uh, to tell the truth about Jesus. Now, interestingly enough, uh, why, what would be another reason why these disciples would want to do that? Well, um, it's because they thought Jesus was coming soon. Really soon. 
like the first gospels written about 20 odd years after Jesus's death and resurrection because in the meantime everyone's just focused on getting the word out because they think he's coming again right away and we know this um, because um, based on his words uh, or words, sayings he had like this. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place, which is in the Gospel of Matthew, the 24th chapter. Paul has to reassure the Christians in Thessalonica that those who had already died were indeed safe in the Lord and were not lost. People largely had the sense that maybe if people died before the Lord came again, that they were lost, that they were damned. And Paul had to reassure them of that, which he does in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18. This was a widespread belief in the early church, a misinterpretation of Jesus' words. And when you think that come, judgment is coming that soon, what you don't do is lie about the judge. It's a bad idea. <laughs> So this would be a reason why they would all want to have the right intention and tell the truth. Um, John wrote this beautiful thing in his gospel. As the end of the 20th chapter is coming around, he says, Now Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples which were not written in this book, but these are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So, what this means is that John thought that the salvation of his audience depended upon the truth of his testimony. That is a tremendous amount of responsibility to take upon yourself. And if, you're, if you think the stakes are that high, you're going to do your best to get it absolutely right. Okay? So that, this is the intention test. Now the bias test is a little bit different. The bias test is where you're saying, is the person too biased to give an objective testimony? And so if I was a prosecuting attorney, didn't like Christianity, put one of the authors of the gospel in the dock, so to speak, what I would say was this. These people love Jesus. They were not neutral observers. We can't trust them to get the story right. Well, that's fair as far as it goes. It's fair as far as they did love Jesus. They, they risked everything to follow him and follow after him, uh, to follow his teachings. Um, but, but, the bias of their love was not the only bias they had to overcome. Because the first witnesses of the resurrection had many other social and um, uh, religious pressures upon them beyond their love for Jesus. And here's one of them. You heard about it in our book, reading from the book of Acts. The Jews had to be willing to break the kosher customs and eat Gentile foods with Gentiles. That comes very quickly after Jesus' resurrection. In order to be to lay out lines like we heard in today's Gospel from John that the Holy Spirit's going to come and lead you into all truth, some of that truth was going to come as a shock to them. And in order to follow Jesus' words, even after his resurrection and his ascension, they're going to have to do some strange things, or what seems strange to them, like breaking their kosher customs. And this bias was so hard, so hard to break, that Paul had to publicly oppose Peter in Antioch. Even after the vision we heard about Peter having in the book of Acts today, what happens is, is that Peter starts to backslide. He won't, he won't hang out with the Gentiles anymore. He only will eat with the Jews. He insists on doing the ritual washings and all this kind of stuff. 
maybe even drifting toward insisting that Gentiles get circumcised. And Paul has to get up in front of the whole church and have a face-off with, with Peter and publicly oppose him. And we see Paul recounts that for us in Galatians 2, 11 through 14. He reminds him of the Lord's new rules given since the Lord's ascension through the Holy Spirit and through that vision. And Peter does eventually come back to the fold. As far as we know, at least from the oral testimony. Now, despite how hard it was to shake off these kind of customs um, for these kind of biases, we call them prejudices in our modern world, the Jewish apostles did this. They did this. In fact, they did even more. They stopped keeping the kosher observance when in community with Gentiles. Now, if it was just a gathering of Jewish Christians, they might still keep them. But when it was a mixed group or mixed church, they wouldn't. The other thing, though, that they did was after 70 AD, when the temple was destroyed and Jews and Christians parted ways, basically Christian, the Jewish Christians were kicked out of the synagogues, they start worshiping on Sunday and not Saturday. Now, this is significant. Um, instead of worshiping on the Sabbath day, they worship on the day of Jesus' resurrection, the first day of the week. If you speak Spanish, you, you know, you've got this one by memory, right? Because Saturday is Sabato, Sabbath day, and Sunday is Domingo, the Lord's day, the day the Lord rose from the dead. Now, Decalogue's a fancy word for the Ten Commandments. I ran out of space. It would have gone off the screen. <laughs> um, but when you... If you're going to be ready to break one of the big ten, if you're going to change one of those things, you have to be really, really, really certain that you've got your story straight. <laughs> okay? So this is the bias test. But there were other social pressures even there. Oops. One more thing about the bias test. If I was a defense attorney and some, a, a prosecuting attorney said, you can't, be trust, you can't trust these people, they love Jesus, here's be my response. You can so love and respect someone that you want to record their life with great integrity. You want to get it right. Even the parts that are a little confusing. Even the parts that seem a little harsh. And those are all over the Gospels. Scholars will sometimes call them the hard sayings of Jesus. Things that would have been easier to gloss over or not include, these authors included, because they wanted to record with incredible integrity the words and deeds of their master. In fact, the disciples had nothing to gain by misrepresenting the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus except criticism, ostracism, and even martyrdom. Criticism and ostracism were far more common, but martyrdom depends on, depends on who was the emperor. I want to show you something. This is called the Palatino Graffito. I like for a fun name. Um, obviously found in Italy. Uh, found in the mid-1800s, I think 1857, if my memory serves right. This is what it looks like. It is a piece of stone that was scribed. You can tell from the words, graffiti, right? So this was found, as they were doing some excavations in Rome, in what were the slave training quarters. They actually had a training school for slaves in the imperial, in imperial Rome for the, for the emperor. And um, just the same way you see people in, in the movies like scribing stuff on the, the wall of their jail when, when, they're, when they're incarcerated a long time, that's what this is. Now, um, it's probably a little hard for you to see that there, so let me give you a... 
This is with the lines darkened in so you can read them a little bit better. And um, what's, this is Greek, it's written down here. And here's what's written. It's Alexamos, Alex, uh, Alexamenos, excuse me, worships God. And you'll note how God is depicted. It's a donkey that's been crucified. This is the absolute scorn that Roman society had for Christian beliefs. That one uh, slave would make fun of another slave in training and consider himself better because at least he didn't worship that idiot God that the Christians worshipped. Um, this, kind of, this was the pressure that Gentiles faced for making the story accurate. In fact, one, of the, one scholar has said that the great challenge Luke had in writing his gospel, which is written in the form of a Roman biography, is how do you make the guy who gets crucified look like the hero to a Roman audience? Because that's not what happens to Roman heroes. Roman heroes come back to a ticker tape parade. But he had to record it accurately. So this kind of pressure was what faced Christians in the first century to hold true to the testimony that we receive in the New Testament. The earliest witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus endured the scorn of outsiders and ostracism from their former co-religionists. It didn't matter if you were converting from Stoicism, which was kind of atheistic, or, uh, or Epicureanism, which was atheistic too, um, or one of the worship of Rome, the Roman gods or something like this. Um, if you were Jewish, you were facing that same ostracism largely. Suddenly by the time the Gospels were being written, um, you'd be simply kicked out of your family. This still happens in the, in the Muslim world. If a person becomes a follower of Christ, um, they're kicked out of their families. Uh, sometimes a bounty is put on their head. So this is what you faced. And yet despite that, here's what I would say. I think they clearly intended to tell the truth and even overcame their biases in order to do that. The biases of the culture had given them. They recorded the stories and the deeds and the words we have in the New Testament in order to get it right. And they didn't count any cost too high to follow this Jesus and that's, that's the challenge their witness presents to us. As Jesus calls us into new adventures, as the Holy Spirit reveals all truth to us, but never reveals a truth that contradicts the Word, we are challenged to follow after with the same courage that they had. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Lord Jesus, thank you so much for embracing the frailty of what it means to be a human being. Um, to not only suffer as we suffer, but to die as we die. And yet in your resurrection, to show us your true power and certify all that you said and did as being of God. We thank you for the faithfulness of these first witnesses who preserved the teaching so that it could come down to us. And Lord, we thank you for the courage you gave them in the midst of their, their difficulties, their, the ostracism, the ridicule, the persecution, and even the martyrdom for your sake. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would strengthen us and bless us with that same courage. 
Grant us faithfulness in every extremity and help us to follow firmly after you who are forever our God and King for you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart Not be all else to me, save that thou art Be thou my best thought in the day and the night Waking or sleeping, thy presence my life